All right, we're introducing episode six yes. right now. That's what's happening as I'm talking. This is the introduction to episode six of Austin and Men Write a Musical. Play song. <laughs> Watching the process beginning to end. Talking shop with your musical friends. Austin and Men. Austin and Men. Write a musical. Hi. Hey. We're back. We're back again for another week of Austin and Men Write a Musical. The podcast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> As opposed to the film. Or, which will be, we're in negotiations. Yeah, or the exciting novel that's coming out. <laughs> and the title will be Austin and Men Write a Musical, the podcast. The novel. The novel. Yeah. Um, well, hey, man. Um, Hi. Have you engaged with any media or stories or anything like that? That you uh, want to talk about? <laughs> yes. Uh, I have watched the last few films in the Child's Play series. Do you oh, know Child's Play? I, well, I mean, I know of it, and <laughs> I know that it's... I know what it is. This is the Chucky yeah. films. Uh, I watched the first one when I was little. I was probably... I shouldn't have watched it, probably, and sure. so I don't necessarily know what my mom was thinking when we were watching it together as a family, but we watched it together. <laughs> Did you watch, like, horror films as a family? Just that one. Oh, interesting. I, don't, I have a memory of watching it during the daytime with my sister. I don't remember if it was, if it was both sisters or just one. Uh, but of course, that evening, that night, I could not sleep. I kept sure. seeing a flouncy, bouncy, red-headed thing in my Whoa. imagination yeah, yeah. creeping around my bed. Uh, but when I got older, I became fascinated with Child's Play 2 and Child's Play 3. And then I didn't. I have never seen the newer films since that trilogy. Like the Bride of Chucky. It starts with the Bride of Chucky, uh, but I have to say they're really like guilty pleasures. So Bride of Chucky, and then the follow up to that Seed of Chucky, take on a much more comedic tone. Okay, I, that was going to be my question: Is yeah. are they horror films or are they comedy horror they're films? They're definitely in the more campy comedy horror films and they you know you kind of watch them to see just how ridiculous it uh -huh. gets because you know he gets a bride and then the next one they have a kid and the kid is like confused about uh their gender identity oh. uh, because they don't have any genitals as well uh, as uh, -huh. uh they are not happy with how the fact that their parents kill people and uh. <laughs> the character is named Glenn, a play on the Ed Wood movie Glenn, Glenda. I don't know if you know anything oh, uh -huh. about yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so those two films you kind of watch and it's, they're not good. They just, <laughs> they're just not good. But you get to film six and this is where it, it was a direct to release rather than into the theaters. So uh -huh. uh, the curse of Chucky kind of brings it back to the original horror where, oh, okay. uh, you know, uh, uh, sorry, spoilers, but this isn't too bad. Uh, you don't really see Chucky do much until, like, 40 minutes in. Uh-huh. Which, so the, the mystery of, like, this family being kind of spooked and tormented by who knows what. We all know it's Chucky, but they don't actually see him do anything. Yeah. Uh, we don't see him do anything in the film until further in. So it... it goes back to being eerie, whereas the previous two films are just silly, right? Yeah. So uh, I would say out of the seven films, one is the best, and then six is a strong second. 
Mm. Although Child's Play 2 always has a special place in my heart. <laughs> so, uh, I have two... Well, so, one uh, sort of side thought. Yeah. Um, for me, my only real experience with the Chucky films is seeing ads uh, <laughs> when I... For Bride of Chucky, and I must have been, like, right around, like, middle school age uh-huh. when it came out. Because <laughs> my only... Like, it's... The ads, I remember, it's it's Jennifer Tilly is the bride yes. or whatever. Yep. But, like the, the voice were, of the bride. Yeah, it was yep. very much about, like, how sort of, like, sexy she was. <laughs> and I just remember, like, being sort of vaguely titillated by this marketing and also <laughs> just, like... But, like, turned off by the movie in general of, like, this is not my thing yeah but like just this sense of like i wonder if this is what grown-ups watch <laughs> like maybe this is what it means to be an adult and watch movies as you like see this kind of movie yeah i don't think a lot of grown-ups liked it <laughs> it has pretty low rotten tomatoes score bride of chucky seed of chucky is even lower uh but what i enjoyed about uh, both of the films is they don't take themselves seriously at all. They're not trying to be genuine in any mm-hmm. way. Um, Jennifer Tilly does play a character named Tiffany, who, uh, I mean, because you said so in the marketing, the, she becomes a doll. Her, she, we actually see her as a human, and then she becomes a doll just like Chucky. And then in the fifth film, Seed of Chucky, Jennifer Tilly plays herself, Jennifer Tilly. Okay. And then the doll decides that she wants to then possess Jennifer Tilly's body. Oh. <laughs> So, so I yeah I have an image of Jennifer Tilly being in the movie. So maybe I'm remembering the ad campaign for. No, she's in both. Okay, it's yeah. just in the fourth one she plays a character named Tiffany. I got it. Yeah, and yeah. then she, she, Tiffany becomes a doll. Uh, but in the fifth one she plays herself. She plays the actress. And Tiffany now. Jennifer Tilly. Yeah, she plays Jennifer Tilly, and Tiffany now wants to possess Jennifer Tilly. Yeah, <laughs> that's how ridiculous yeah, those yeah, yeah, two yeah. films get. What an interesting! Um, what an interesting pitch. But what I love is that they don't break continuity. Like anything that, well, okay, there's probably plot holes, but anything that has happened, they don't retcon any of it in the sixth mm, film, mm-hmm. even though it takes on a more serious, darker tone. Uh, they acknowledge that all of that that had happened before has happened. Yeah. Um, so, and I think that's because the the guy who is the primary writer and creator of these characters. I believe his name is Don Mancini. Sorry if I got that wrong. Uh, has consistently been the writer for all of the films. Interesting, yeah. So he kind of gets to own the properties, so to speak. Uh, and incidentally, he's also, I think, one of the few, if not only prominent, openly gay writers of horror films. Oh. Um, so they're, yeah. I don't I don't know if there that was a reason why I was drawn to the film. If there's some <laughs> kind of like connection there sure uh but the because the lead characters are always like uh down on their luck or like characters who are vulnerable vulnerable or you know could be potentially in peril like the kid in the first three films Uh uh-huh uh you know if first he's raised by a single mom then the second movie the mom gets committed to an insane asylum so he's off to fend he's he has to fend for himself in the foster system so there's kind of this like the whoever the lead human characters are are often like in a difficult life circumstance and curse of chucky the lead is a woman who's paraplegic she's in a wheelchair Mm -hmm. for the whole movie so yeah yeah, i think i think there's something about that where there's just this just this vicious doll who is pretty crass and crude and then uh having to uh, a human who is put in this like difficult life situation also now having to deal with this doll 
Sure. <laughs> so. um, yeah, well, so that was sort of my follow-up question is, like, as a person who has not really engaged with any kind of horror uh, material... That's right. You said that in episode one. Yeah, well, so I've dabbled. <laughs> I, like, I don't know. I saw Saw, and I have seen, like, House of Wax, uh, uh-huh. and I, I've several films. Um, but I, like, my understanding is that what's sort of interesting about them is that they play on fears or or like um like what you were identifying as these characters are all in sort of vulnerable vulnerable positions yeah um or like this that's sort of an examination of our uh deep and maybe not even necessarily explicit fears but like sort of irksome feelings around say i guess single motherhood or the foster care system yeah um so just sort of like take I don't know, any sort of vague sense of worry and just, like, heighten it with sort of ridiculous monster-type I think that's fears. fair. I think that's true. And I don't know that necessarily the newest Chucky films, I wouldn't necessarily say that they're 100% relevant in, like, I wouldn't say, like, there's an obvious connection to what's uh-huh. happening in the world today because the newest one was released last fall. Um, but I do think that the vulnerability of the characters makes it relatable. I also, what I think draws me to it is, uh, the horror film genre or a horror film has kind of a musical structure to it. Mm. Oftentimes, like depending on, you know, what kind of film it is, but oftentimes it's like the horror starts to slowly like reveal itself. And by the end it crescendos into this big standoff. And so there's something fun about seeing that, that pattern play out. Um, and of course, I, I, and the thing is, I hate jump scares. Yeah. So I always uh, turn down the volume when I think a jump scare is about to happen, and then see it or hear it, uh, and then rewind and watch it again, knowing when it's going to happen. Yeah. So I I do not like watching horror films live in the theater, but I for some reason I enjoy how the story maps out, and that's what I judge as far as like whether it was successful or whether it was just bad or predictable. Um, and I would say film six went back to being surprising mm, uh, given mm. how many films there have been. Seven was also surprising. I, I just didn't buy the ending as much. Sure. But we don't have to go into that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I engaged with Child's Play. Yay! Um, what about I've, you? I've been re-watching Westworld uh, to try to prepare for the new season and yeah. because we mentioned it on the podcast and I uh, have been looking... I've been watching the season again from the perspective of like we're pl- these these humans are playing a video game mm-hmm. uh, and these are the NPCs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really interesting to watch the show because the first time I was just sort of letting it wash over me. Um, but like to watch it now, knowing all the twists of the first season and whatnot. Um, and to just sort of watch, I guess from a more like writer's perspective mm. on like, how are they weaving that all together? And mm-hmm. like, what are the characters experiences? It's really interesting. Um, nice. like, uh, oh, Ed, the, the man in black, yeah, the yeah, man yeah. in black's character is, mm-hmm. it's really interesting to watch it with knowing what's going to happen. Like, um, just sort of thinking about what his internal experience really is. Yeah. Cause that was so opaque the first time you yeah. watch it. Um, and I don't know if you know, well, I don't want to spoil too much for anybody who hasn't seen them, but in the, okay, this is when we use a spoiler <laughs> alert. <laughs> Fast forward maybe 20 seconds. Uh, In the movie, the man in black is an android. So for somebody who saw the original film, 
I was spending my whole time wondering, is he actually an android? Mm. Uh, and in the TV show, is he? I don't, I'm not going to spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I gave it away, obviously. But, but that, was, that was an intriguing thing that they were playing off of what the film expectations were. Sure, yeah. Uh, versus, and, and of course, there are similar twists in the TV show just surrounding other characters yeah. throughout yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. Well, we did a lot of, like, character talk last time, and uh, I have one thing to maybe talk about character-wise that was an idea that came to me, which was we have this uh, these two characters, one who we think might be a more privileged college student, mm-hmm. and then one who maybe has uh, a spouse or a family, yeah. uh, but also has a, a lot of other responsibilities, uh, might be working more than one job, is in a more, uh, I would get, I would say, lower socioeconomic status, yeah. tougher to get by. Mm-hmm. Um, and a thought that I had was, is if this privileged college kid was actually Asian American. And I bring that up uh, for a couple of reasons. One, having an Asian American male lead and an Asian American romantic male lead is just not, it's still not done a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, both on stage and film and TV. Uh, but also, I do think there's there's something interesting to mine from the the privilege that comes from being the quote unquote model minority. Yeah, and that I think hasn't really been explored. I think there's been a lot, uh, and maybe it has, and I'm just ignorant to it right now. But I think there's been a lot about Asian American identity and and the oppression or the marginalization we faced. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also know. Um, that I, even though my parents were immigrants and they worked hard to get to where uh, they were able to give us a good education, uh, I came from a place of privilege both as a male but also as an Asian American. So Asian American is an identity that can kind of straddle the line a little bit as far as like facing marginalization but also uh, having a sense of privilege. And I would say that there are... Uh, a lot of privileged Asian American kids out there <laughs> that I think it's worth exploring that, 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 you know, instead yeah. of having a classically white straight male privileged person who, who is kind of an easy target, so to speak, and yeah. may not be as interesting because we've seen it, mm-hmm. um, choosing somebody whose identity kind of walks that line a little bit differently. Yeah. I, I also, um, I actually independently of this conversation also had the thought that, oh. um, if we, well, I was just like, I don't know, that, that is one way to go. And my thought around it was also, like, if we are talking about issues of gender at all or, like, playing in the game, like, to have this, I don't know, that, like, the masculinity of Asian males is, yeah. is fraught. Yeah. Um, uh, and, I mean, that's, that, I, I mean, M. Butterfly and, and oh, all yes. those stories. Oh, um, I have my own experiences. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I thought that would be a way to kind of explore privilege. Yeah. But under a new lens. Uh-huh. You had created a sort of structure um, <laughs> that I don't know that we talked about on mic uh, last time, but I thought it was really great for my brain. Cool. Um, I don't know how concise it is to explain to people. Um... We'll try. 
I, to be the, the honest truth is we tried last time and it we listened back and it was too confusing so we cut. <laughs> <laughs> so now I actually have it drawn out so I can try. Uh, and what I the way I thought about it and I, the way I often think about shows that I work on are in both a two act musical theater structure and in a three act film structure. Um, and so just starting with a film three act structure, uh, I thought Act One is about us seeing the characters meet and the affinity they share, and maybe by the end of that act one, maybe 20, 30 minutes in, they're established as a duo, a friendship, a pair of some kind. Um, Act two, I think, should be about some kind of inciting incident, some event um, that pretty much forces them to be together or work together, I think, to accomplish something, and that can be as straightforward as an in-game goal, or it could be a side thing that... we don't expect um and i think that act two uh could get solved by the end of musical theater act one Uh and that by the end of musical theater act one they've fallen in love and that's a good suspenseful moment to end act one of like oh shit we just realized like we maybe overstepped some boundaries and now uh, yeah, I honestly imagine that at the end of Act One ends with their avatars making out and starting to <laughs> head towards avatar sex, and then lights out. Uh, but that they never wanted it to go there in the first uh, part of the the show. Uh, but anyway, we can talk about that later. Yeah. And, and then um, once musical theater Act Two starts up again, we're dealing with kind of their reactions to their love interest, how they're feeling about it, exploring that, and then film Act Three. I think could be when they decide that they actually want to meet in person and then the rest of the show is them dealing with some of the realities that the fantasy did not uh, clue them in on. Sure. Yeah. Um, so that, that can all change, but I like to, I, I, I always overlay kind of an act three, a three act with a two act structure for musicals. Yeah. Um, to kind of map it in my head. Yeah. So, um, for me, I think the arc of the relationship makes a lot of sense right now. Like, I have a very clear sort of image of, like, you have your separate lives, and then um, your lives start to become entangled with this other person, and then at some point you're going to have to make a choice as to whether you um, make sacrifices in your original situation or you make sacrifices in this new situation. Yes. And whether or not, how we decide that can can come later. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the big sort of gaping hole for me right now is this sort of inciting, this, this, lead, this beginning action into the game and into this relationship. Yeah. Like, what are they doing to, that brings them together, and what are their goals that, maybe ostensibly we think are sort of the driving goals of the show, but then trans give way to this relationship. Yeah. Do you have thoughts? Um, I kind of, do you have anything? I have thoughts too, okay. but if you want to, cause I just shared a big old thing right now. Great. So. <laughs> sure. So I, so my thought, I guess, again, I don't know if we mentioned this on mic, but I really liked this idea that you had put forward a while ago of like, Maybe there's sort of a beginning part of the game, like um, some sort of simple task that you're not really supposed to spend a lot of time doing, but mm-hmm. sort of launches your 
uh, career in this adventuring world of the game or whatever it is, um, but that some people, our protagonists probably, um, have decided that this is the game that they want to play, mm-hmm. this like early level or early whatever it is. Yeah. And so I, so then my sort of thing that I'm trying to come up with is like, what is the, so like, let's say you have to do a simple job to get a little money. Uh-huh. And the idea is that you're supposed to use that money to go do this other thing in the game and sort of start, in a, start an action-y thing or whatever it is. But instead, there's some realization of like, well, if I keep doing this, I could actually, uh, I don't know, buy, I could buy, I don't have to work on this farm forever. I could buy this farm uh-huh. if I just like keep doing, if I just keep milking this cow or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Like I could did you realize that I could just buy this farm and then we could like become farmers in this game that you're not supposed to become farmers? Yeah. Um, and so I don't know what that is or if, or if that's the right mechanic even. Yeah. I mean, I, are you, was I, that your thought? Yeah. That's my thought. <laughs> I don't want to cut you off. Uh, what I, my brain was like kind of flowing with what you were saying and what I, I still like the office setting. Yeah. Me too. And I, I don't know why I went far. No, no, no. That's fine. I'm just uh, so embarrassed. I'm so embarrassed. Yeah. Should have stepped with an office. <laughs> that was wrong. I did, the, I did it wrong. Yes. Um, <laughs> basically, what I was just thinking... Uh, well, I had another thought, which was Second Life is so open-ended... Yeah. ...that I actually thought that that's not a great model for us. The, the idea of, like, you can do whatever you want is a great model, but because uh-huh. Second Life... It is up to you. Yeah. It wouldn't make sense to have characters doing what they want and then feeling like there's a conflict, right? Yes. So it, I think the game does need to have a purpose that these characters are not fulfilling. Yes. In order for there to be something humorous, something interesting, something, you know, that will carry them forward. So I just had a thought just now. Mm-hmm. What if the game was something like Perfect Job? Like... This is a simulation game where you can find your perfect job and work at it. Mm-hmm. And everybody starts off in this corporation where after like an amount of time, they're supposed to take a test and then that'll then send them off to a farm or sure. to a, a school or to a hospital. And then they get to be those careers. And um, what our two characters are doing are deciding never to take that test and instead just keep working at yeah. this first corporation and just maybe the thing is they keep amassing money uh-huh. and they're like resistant to you know moving on and and it's more like they like like we said before the mundaneness of it they're just like i'm happy clicking this button because i need escape because what i'm too scared of my real life future that this is comfortable and familiar um but everybody else playing the game has been propelled on and they're they're you know, pilots, they're plumbers, they're yeah. things that like they may not be in real life, and that's the public appeal of the game. Uh-huh. But our two characters don't care for that. They're yes. just like, I like working in this fake cubicle, yeah, and well, chatting. And so then, I guess the um, the so they can meet there, right? Yes. Like if it's if it's a social game and and people are coming through this space all the time, like a massively multiplayer online thing, yeah. Uh, it's kind of nice that they like see each other there a lot. And it's like, oh, are you also not moving on? Right. But right. then uh, there should probably be some realization yeah. of like, oh, if 
you agree to this, to do this thing with me, I've realized that we could do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, some, like some act of trust, like, uh, if you, if I give you all of my, like, maybe it's like we can't both buy the thing that we want. We can't pool our money ostensibly, but I could give you all of my money, and then you could buy it, and we could agree to use it mm-hmm. together, uh-huh. whatever that is. Um, yeah, some act of trust, I some guess. Some act of trust. Uh, this is just an idea, too. An in-game marriage, where it's more just... Hey, oh. why don't we just agree to get married in game, and and we're, and just keep doing this because this is what we like to do. And so, I mean, there might be yeah, more yeah, to yeah. it than that, but that, no, that's I like that. That's and funny. so this really innocent act of like, great, let's just do it, actually turns out, especially for the one who has a spouse in real life, that could be a big point of conflict where it's like, you did what? And yeah, it's like it was just this silly little thing. Yeah, well, and I like that. Um, that's yeah. That's funny. Like a way to pool resources. I, yeah, because well, because that's also like that's a funny sort of early show thing of like, hey, yeah. this is a weird question, but do you want to get married? Right, right, right. And it's um, totally just you know, it, it's a click of a button, and you get the con- the contract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and so some benefit to being married in this sort of um, atypical general pre-job job. Yeah. Which I love because that's like real life. People get married for those reasons too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the fact that it's virtual now feels even more harmless uh-huh. and in like you know whatever. Um, yeah, I haven't thought this through because this just came to me. Yeah, <laughs> in our conversation. Um, Maybe they're foregoing, like like so if if they want to stay in this sort of early stage, like I guess they're sort of foregoing the possibility of like. Um, gaining levels and becoming more powerful, but they could be gaining money, for instance, to buy things. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, there's, um, there are those postal, it's a couple who worked for the post office for, like, 40 years, and they, their passion was art and paintings, and so they would go to small galleries, and, like, buy early works of people, and mm-hmm. then those people have now turned out to go on to have illustrious careers, so they happen to be, like, one of the premier, like, collectors of artists yeah um yeah that their goals are just more about relaxing and enjoying mm-hmm. um what what do you think about so i i just i had a thought of like the marriage is one thing and i think that that what if that is just something that happens yeah that they agree to to share their monies because they both realize they would like to just purchase this house somewhere mm-hmm. um and buy virtual art, virtual whatever, and yeah. just have nice things and enjoy it, and they can do that better by sharing their money. But what if the uh, programmers, or what, what if what they're doing is actually, like, breaking the system, or the programmers don't like it, and they want, they, they're going to set a time limit of some kind of, like, anybody who's staying in the office, we need you to get out i don't know sure (laughs) but basically and it doesn't have to be like they're now the villains yeah yeah. so much as like uh although maybe they're set up as the an antagonist but not in a like they're a corporate greedy monster type of way and the two characters are basically like this is a design flaw uh Mm. you should allow us to stay in this company Mm -hmm. uh what if this is our perfect job and 
and the you know whoever designed the game i don't know if we need them to be a character but the company can speak up and be like this is our game um, yeah i mean there definitely needs to be some sort of uh um limit on like some there needs to show some barrier to them just continuing to do this right um and i think that's where the conflict comes up either some limit that's imposed or some limit that they discover or um uh yeah or the game's ending or whatever it is yeah um i we touched on this last time i think but i i do like the idea of the the universe in which they've built this life uh being shut down um Mm. as sort of an inevitability yeah i mean i guess one for the metaphor of of death yeah but also like that is the driving well i guess yeah keeping with the metaphor of death it's like you're gonna die someday so like should there's an it creates a need for them to find another way to express this relationship or let it go which is to me that's a transition between film act two and act three yeah 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 uh Yes, I I do think that's still an appealing uh, plot point that can happen, um, but um, no, that's not necessarily for me this first one. No, I agree. Well, so I guess I'm saying that that idea of there being like a the developer chasing them out or whatever uh-huh. um, feels like a later, like what is the thing that they yeah. what is the thing that's going so well for them right now that would that a change would be a disaster. Well, I think maybe it becomes a little cat and mousy and it builds up to the point where they get kicked out mm. maybe or i mean I, it could be that the game comes to an end too but that feels like something bigger had to have happened to the game that i don't yeah. know yet <laughs> but like what if the developers are like all right well we won't straight up tell them they can't do it but we'll in the next update put this thing in there that they don't expect so that it kind of forces them to take this test I see. Or and then when they try to like go around that, then the developers add like it. We, I don't know how actively we want them to become a character, but it can be that kind of like thing that builds up so that by the end of Act One of the musical, maybe they've triumphed in a way uh-huh. where they get to do it, yeah. or they built up enough support. Like that's where we can get other characters involved, where they they realize they're not the only ones who are doing this that they actually can get a group of four or five, keeping it small for cast purposes, yeah. who are like, yeah, we should have the right to stay in this office. Or, or, and they build some sort of movement. I don't want to get you know too on the nose about politics, but uh, to the point where the developers have to relent for a while. Uh-huh. But maybe in Act 2 of the musical, the developers are then, I don't know, something happens. Or maybe they, they can't, oh, because of the changes they ask for, the game can't sustain itself anymore for in-app purchases. Something like that, where like then it leads to the game ending. Yeah. That I just came up with, so it could be nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so um, just to, to to simplify for a second. Sure. Um, let's say that the goal is just like you are you're living in the starting city with this starting job that is meant to launch you elsewhere and the discovery and it's, but they just sort of like being here and doing the simple thing. Yeah. And they discover that they could, um, buy a house Mm -hmm. in this starting thing. And like they Uh could, they could do all of the things that the game that you're supposed to do elsewhere. Like they could do it right here, but the challenge is that they're going to need to get like, it's going to take forever to do it individually. 
So together so, they can share the money. Yeah. And live together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in game and like do that. Uh, and if that, so let's just say that is the whole goal. And then I think for me, the conflict would then have to be like, they are getting really obsessed with this and it's affecting real life. Uh, it's yeah. like, you're playing this game a lot and it's like, you don't understand. Like I am so, we are so close. Uh huh. Um, uh, and then you do it, and you've sort of made sacrifice, I guess, to to accomplish this goal. And yeah. then you've, and then it, the game's shutting down. And do you give up, or do you keep bring it into the real world? Um, that's one structure, yeah. I guess, that's coming out for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I actually, I can see that being like I could. You might not like this, but I could see that being overlaid with the developer's one that I was just talking about. Yeah. Where it's not... So I I, I, I like your thought because it feels... Uh, I don't know what the word is. More subtle? More... Mm. Uh, yeah, just not like, this is now a class struggle. <laughs> uh, and it's going to be about overcoming the people in power. And so I like what if that was happening with some of the developer story that I was talking about where they're not as strong of a presence or a force and so it's not about them like sticking it to the man. Um, but the developer keeps trying to put up little pesky things that are, they could be as simple as just little annoyances. Uh, but because I think we will need some more obstacles that come their way mm-hmm. that lead us to the, I feel like there should be a big, when we get to the big triumph of them finally owning this place or whatever it is, um, that there would have been some other obstacles for them to have gotten past. Yeah, I agree. Um, so um, I think some of that could be whenever there, when there's an update that they didn't expect and they're like, oh man, like yeah. what we thought was going to happen, I don't know, they changed the exchange rate or something. Like sure. something yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that is not malicious, that is not out to get them, yeah. but is still an in-game but outside world force. But I do, yes, you're, I think you're right, or your intuition is right as far as like then thinking about the threat of the outside world uh-huh. and how that affects them. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I mean, um, the, the, the idea that, well, and, and like if there are sort of in-app purchases and this kind of, that kind of monetary model, uh-huh. I don't know, like the betrayal of somewhat like, one of them just buys, just spends real world money to uh, get something. Yeah. It's like, After they agreed not to. Yeah, or like that's, that like taints it in some way. Yeah. Or, I don't know, there's that, there's that dynamic that can come up. Yeah. If that's, yeah, I like that. In that world. I like that. And I think that is still in this like musical theater second half of act one uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> that like these, the, the, their dynamic gets crunchier and more confusing, uh, until it, they realize that they are falling for each other. Yeah. But until that point, it can be like, why did you, why did you actually buy that? Yeah. Um, yeah, that I like that. Well, great. I, I feel, I, I feel like we have made progress. Yeah. Um, Let's what what are next steps? I I feel like it's more of this, quite honestly. Yeah. That there, like I feel like right now we've reached kind of a breathing point, mm-hmm. and maybe a few more, like a few more days, a week, 
uh, will give us time to just let it sit and then we'll be ready to talk some more. Yeah. Um, at what point should we start outlining? I guess I feel like maybe I want to like, just for my own brain, like not necessarily together, but throw together an outline that I can show you or something like that. Sure. Um, just because I we've ha- we've had a lot of ideas and I think I need to start plugging them into a concrete structure in order to like see if they make sense to me. Great, that's um, really funny because I feel like I'm not ready yet to plug it in, and I feel like I'm often the more obnoxiously anal one out of the <laughs> two of us who like needs all this structure in his life. But I'm actually, but I'm I'm fine. I'm happy with you doing it. It's just funny because I'm more like that's cool. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm happy to let these ideas just kind of float around my head for a bit while, a while longer. Yeah, I guess for me it's like I I want to do it and then we can throw it out. Yeah. But yeah, I'm at a I think I'm at an outlining point. I will <laughs> I think usually what happens is I feel this way and then I like start outlining and then get about halfway through and I'm like, "Oh, never mind." <laughs> <laughs> well, start it. Yeah. And then we'll see and if we yeah, I, I like that idea, too, because then it gives us something to look at and then change. Cool. Yeah. Versus just it being in our heads. So Yeah. All right. Well, sounds great. If you have any questions, thoughts, or suggestions, please email us at austinandmin at gmail.com, and we may talk about it in a few weeks. Because <laughs> <laughs> we record these early, Yeah, as we said. All right. Uh, all right. Bye. Bye. Amwam is produced by Austin Zumbro and Min Kong. Theme song composed by Austin Zumbro, performed by Austin Zumbro and Min Kong. Logo designed by Melissa Nigro. If you like our podcast, leave us a review and subscribe.